Chapter 7 from the Easy Chair, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. From the Easy Chair, Volume 2 by George William Curtis. Chapter 7 Tweed. There are many persons who wonder why Tweed did not evade justice by forfeiting his bail. He had every chance to escape, they say. Why did he stay? His chief confederates are safe in Europe, where he might easily have been, yet he was foolish enough to take the risk of a trial, and he is imprisoned, probably for the rest of his life. The explanation, however, is very obvious. He did not believe there was any risk. Tweed was the most striking illustration of a very common faith belief in the almighty dollar he is the victim of a most touching fidelity to the great principle which every good american will surely be the last to flout his creed was very simple it was that money would buy everything and he reposed upon his belief with the sweet security of the mussulman who sees by faith a heaven of horus certainly his confidence was not surprising he had proved his creed he had seen money work miracles he had seen himself a man of no cleverness and of no advantages rising swiftly by means of it from insignificant poverty to the control of a great party it had made him master of one of the great cities of the world it had secured for him governors legislators councils and legal and executive authorities of every kind he invested in land and judges he bought dogs and lawyers he silenced the press with a golden muzzle and money made his will law here was a man who wanted nothing that money could not buy was it strange that he had unbounded faith in it every form of virtue was to him mere affectation a more or less ingenious and tenacious strike from money if a man spoke of honesty patriotism self-respect the public welfare public opinion truth justice right tweed smiled at the fine phrases in which the auctioneer anxious to sell himself cried going going argument reason decency they were meaningless to him if an opponent held out he simply asked how much the world was a market life was a bargain he felt himself with pride to be the largest operator in his way as vanderbilt in his or stewart in his in albany he had the finest quarters at the delaven and when he came into the great dining-room at dinner-time and looked at all the tables thronged with members of the legislature and the lobby he had a benignant paternal expression as of a patriarch pleased to see his retainers happy it was a magnificent rendering of fagin and his pupils you could imagine him trotting up and down in the character of an unsuspicious old gentleman with his handkerchief hanging out of his pocket that his scholars might show their skill in prigging a wipe he knew which of that cheerful company was the artful dodger and which charlie bates and he never doubted 
that he could buy every man in the room if he were willing to pay the price so at the capitol where sits the legislature of a noble commonwealth of four millions of souls he moved about with an air of fat good-nature like the chief shepherd of the flock if he stood at the door of the assembly looking in it is easy to fancy him saying to himself the state pays these men two or three hundred dollars for four months service i will give them better wages he did not doubt that it was a fair transaction what is the state it is only four millions of people he thought who are all trying to be rich struggling cheating by hook or by crook every man for himself and the devil take the hindmost to be rich these men would be fools not to take my money and he smiled his fat smile and paid liberally for all that was in market there were some papers whose price he could not ascertain which persisted in speaking ill of him and his pals if the fools did not know their own interest enough to be content with a good price say of corporation advertising they must be silenced the conceit of virtue must not be pushed too far so one day his legislature passed a bill virtually giving his judges power to imprison editors at their pleasure but virtue that is in the tweed theory of life obstinacy in holding out for a higher price mustered such a really respectable protest that the public project of coercion failed and private methods were tried tweed had no doubt that reputation could be bought as well as power peter cooper builds an institute for the education of the poor does he you mean said tweed a monument to his own glory he pays a certain number of thousands of dollars for the reputation of philanthropy and mr stewart builds a working woman's palace ah and mr astor founds a library indeed and they are benevolent gentlemen and benefactors of their kind not at all they merely invest money in a certain kind of fame that pleases their taste as fast horses and yachts and pictures please the taste of other people i will show you how tis done says the faithful believer in the dollar and he gives fifty thousand dollars to the poor just as winter is beginning let the cavillers say what they will exclaim a myriad voices that shows a good heart tweed as it were tips a wink i told you how it was done he seems to say what is there that money will not buy is it surprising that such a man did not try to evade justice justice in his view was a commodity like legislative honor like newspaper independence like the reputation of benevolence the reform movement was to him a sudden and confusing flurry in which strikers to whose terms he would not yield had somehow gained a momentary advantage he had perhaps made a mistake in not buying them at their own price success had possibly put him off his guard he was sure that if an indictment were found that would be the end of it and he had no feeling of shame his friend fisk 
had shown what lawyers were made of and he himself would buy lawyers and judges sheriffs and juries he knew that the one thing that in a needy and greedy world cannot fail is money he came to his first trial and the jury disagreed naturally for he had bought some of them the evidence of course moral only but it is conclusive if justice facetiously so called wanted another bout he would come up smiling there was no trick or quibble that lawyers could devise for which he had not made munificent preparation even to asserting that the judge who obstinately refused to name a price was disqualified from sitting at the trial money had never failed before it certainly would not at this last pinch but it did and the bewilderment and consternation of this simple devotee was pitiful he had but one article in his faith and that was now destroyed he had staked everything upon the certainty of the almighty dollar and he had lost but there was something not less noticeable than his unquestioning faith it was that his faith was so generally held for what gave the universal and intense interest to the tweed trial here was a common thief except in the amount of his theft of whose guilt nobody had any doubt against whom as the judges said the evidence was a mathematical demonstration and his conviction was hailed as a kind of national deliverance and vindication of human justice there was but one reason for this and it was the feeling that money would free him of course it was known that the judge could not be bought nor the attorney-general nor the prosecution tweed might as well have offered to buy the moral law but public knowledge ended there and in the degree of the universality of the belief that somehow by actual bribery or by legal quirk or shift or sham money would buy him off is the value of the lesson of his conviction which is the utmost power of money fails before firm sagacious and intelligent honesty there is not a saloon in new york in which tweed contempt of honorable motives is the sole faith which has not had an astonishing revelation and learned that money is not omnipotent those saloons have learned one other thing that stealing is the same crime whether it be the theft of public or private property the robin hood jollity that surrounded tweed his familiar name the boss the laughing stories that were told of him showed that he was held in very different estimation from an ordinary thief the baser newspapers evidently regarded him as the french nobleman regarded himself who was firmly convinced that the almighty would think twice before condemning such a gentleman as he so when tweed went to the tombs the same feeling attended him the officers could not believe that it was really meant so rich a man who had lived in so fine a house and had spent money so profusely should be treated as a common offender the wretch who steals a loaf to feed his starving children must have short shrift and black maria dispatches him 
at the earliest moment but a statesman who steals millions of dollars from the people really the law must think twice before handling him impolitely a day or two after he had been taken to jail on his way to the penitentiary the papers said as if he had been a beloved prisoner of state whom cruel governments might torture but whom the people would still honor a great many improvements have been made in his cell by his friends and it has now quite a cosy and comfortable appearance the floor is covered with a carpet of a dark green ground the walls are hung with dark green cloth and the panes in the windows opening on center street which were cracked and broken a few days ago have been newly glazed in the center of the room is a large round table at which the boss takes his three regular meals served up in the best manner from the prison restaurant there is a luxurious leather-covered lounge in one corner and five chairs including a large comfortable rocking-chair besides these few articles of furniture are a washstand and a bookcase the prisoner is plentifully supplied with reading matter and as for creature comforts the solicitude of his friends and relatives leaves nothing to be desired except liberty crowds of people have called to see him for the past two days but none were admitted without passes from the commissioners this feeling was akin to that which inspires the proverb and the practice that all's fair at the custom house when robin hood stepped politely to the door of my lord bishop's carriage and requested him to alight under the greenwood tree and proceeded to rifle the carriage of all the treasure that his lordship was conveying he was not felt to be a common thief far from it he was the people's tax-gatherer in green he scattered with a free hand among the poor the money which the rich man could lose without feeling it nobody suffered my lord bishop was admonished that he had the poor always with him and the poor rejoiced in his involuntary largesse so the boys thought of tweed while the boss was king there was always money about as they said and when did robin hood himself ever bestow fifty thousand dollars in a lump upon the poor besides who could say that he was robbed the rich could not feel it and was any poor orphan defrauded by him any poor widow pinched any honest laborer burdened yes they were it was public money that he stole and what is public money it is the taxes and who pays the taxes the rich no the poor the producers they come out of the rent of the tenement house out of the price of tea and sugar and coal out of the pittance of the widow and orphan and the small wages of the laborer it was from the poor who cowered gratefully over the coal that he gave them that he stole the coal his confederate sweeney planted hyacinths in the city parks and for every flower some poor soul was pinched gay robin hood strips the baron and the poor bless him as he flings them the gold then the baron goes home to his castle and wrings teeth out of the jaws of isaac of york to force him to give money 
then isaac of york advances at a more ruinous rate than yesterday the interest upon the money he lends so when tweed steals from the public treasury he picks every private pocket every stroke of his hammer if he hammers stone with other thieves refreshes in the public mind these familiar truths it is humiliating that the conviction of an evident offender in the court of law should be a cause of public congratulation but on the other hand it is cheering that shameless crime entrenched in every way and defying the course of law should by that course be quietly convicted and surely punished end of chapter seven recording by john brandon